0: Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our keys to the series here in the first round. So we're picking two players that have really stood out for us here in the first round in the first couple days of the NBA playoffs. Jalen, I'll start with you. Who is your first player that has stood out here in the first round?
1: Hey, man, my first player is easy money, dude. It is Hassan Whiteside of the Portland Trailblazers. We talked about this a little bit off camera, and I think it needs to be brought to light just a little bit. The dude might've only had seven points and eight rebounds in a game where they only won by eight points, but listen, or by one by seven points, but listen, the dude had five blocks in the game. He was key in the bigs matchup where it was him and Nurkic versus Anthony Davis versus Dwight Howard versus JaVale McGee. Like, honestly, bro, I felt like coming into this matchup, they were extremely outmatched. I felt like AD, I would take AD any day of the week and twice on Sundays if it was versus Nurkage. And I felt like when it came to Hassan Whiteside, the combination of Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee would be enough to hold down. Well, these two did their thing in this game, basically combining for 23 points, um, combining for 23 rebounds, and they ate all night helped control the glass and kept the game extremely close for long for a long stretch of the game I think the most impressive part about Hassan Whiteside is the fact that he was able to effectively imprint his presence on the floor without having to be um, a scoring threat which in a game like this with so many high octane scores, Damian Lillard (laughs) again, dropping 30 plus points, CJ McCollum coming on strong, Gary Trent Jr. and Carmelo Anthony coming up big down the stretch in the fourth quarter with two big threes. Somehow, Hassan Whiteside's five blocks, to me, is almost bigger than all of that. And I think the reason why is because his ability to help on the glass and help defensively as a big man for their team is what kept the Lakers, who are a high-octane offense themselves, especially when they're hitting threes, which unfortunately didn't happen for them in game one. But they have a high-octane offense with two forwards as their primary mode of scoring, and they didn't even crack 100 points in this game. Ryan, I know we know that Portland's defense is atrocious. We're talking about pure matadors on the court when it comes to a lane to the basket but they held you to under 100 points in the game. Ah, man, that that, to me, that's got to have a little bit of Hassan Whiteside written all over it.
0: I think that's a strong pick because I think Hassan Whiteside is an underrated defender on this Portland team. You talked about how atrociously bad this team has been on defense, and I think having Whiteside on your team is a huge improvement. Now, I think that with Whiteside, I think he's also kind of a relief and a support system for Yusuf Nurkic. I know Yusuf Nurkic was in foul trouble in that game, and so was Hassan Whiteside. But I think just having him being able to block those key shots, helping the Portland defense, holding the Lakers to under 100 points, I think that's going to be key going forward for the rest of the series. I, I think my pick for the Blazers winning in seven games, it's, it's strong right now. It's a strong pick. Sweeping the Lakers, though, is a, is a whole different story. Yeah, but honestly
1: Morgan was tripping on that one.
0: Yeah, I think that sweep, I don't think there's a chance. Seven games, I still think it'll hold. I think the Lakers just need to come back stronger. But Portland, I don't think defensively they're going to give up that easily, especially when you have Hassan Whiteside coming off the bench, supporting Yusuf Nurkic, taking down Anthony Davis. He, he was not looking good that game. He wasn't really looking good in the first quarter. I think he had seven points. He was one of eight shooting in the first quarter. Most of his points came from the line. So I think that's definitely something to watch out for in the next, in the next couple of games. How does, Portland's defense, how does Portland's defense prevent Anthony Davis from getting and from driving to the lane, scoring the easy buckets? My first pick is Jamal Murray. Okay, okay. I like Jamal Murray, honestly. I think I, I, was, I, was, I wasn't really sure about him early in the bubble because I realized that, you know, he had been battling some injuries. He did not really play in a lot of the seeding games leading up to this, leading up to the playoffs. But I think he's definitely a guy that is a key piece on this Denver offense. If you watch the fourth quarter, I think that was just a battle between Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he had 36 points, nine assists, five rebounds, shot over 60% from the field and from beyond the arc. Murray has struggled with injuries. Will Barton has struggled with injuries. Gary Harris has struggled with injuries. It's now forced Jamal Murray to take over on the offensive side. But compare this. Murray had 16 points in the first three quarters. He had 20 in the fourth quarter and overtime combined. And Jalen, like you said off the air, 37 points that he assisted on. I don't think there's any question he took over the game, especially with the turnovers that the Jazz had late in the game. And now I think for Jamal Murray, it's about being consistent. He scored 36 points in game one. But how is he going to do in game two? Will he take this into game two?
1: I mean, I think the big thing, right, is obviously all the praise goes to Donovan Mitchell. 57 points in the game, historic feat. He's the third highest scoring player in NBA history in terms of one singular game in the NBA playoffs. But let's be honest for a second. Jamal Murray definitely did his thing down the stretch, but it does not hurt to have Nikola Jokic chip in 29 and 10 on his own. I mean, Donovan Mitchell did not have a single player on his team crack 20 points, and the second leading scorer was Joe Ingles with 19 points. Now, if you remember, I told you in the last episode when it came to the Western Conference preview that... Joe Ingles was going to have to be somewhat of an X factor for their team as another ball handler especially with the fact that we weren't necessarily sure about the status of Mike Conley in terms of returning back to the bubble. We definitely can expect him to probably not be playing in game 2 and there's also a high chance that he potentially doesn't play in game 3 if not the rest of the series. So Joe Ingles stepping up and contributing almost 20 points in the game is definitely a good sign for him individually. But he cannot be your second leading scorer on this team in order to beat and a high-octane high offense like Denver. Now, the thing with Denver, of course, and you mentioned it earlier, is that Denver has been struggling with a lot of injuries across their roster. We actually got word earlier today that Will Barton has to exit the bubble for rehab purposes for his knee injury. That definitely helps close the gap between these two teams. But if we don't see something significantly different from these role players in game two, they're going to lose by a lot more points than just 10 in a shootout with Denver if things don't improve. I think the big question for them when you look at this is going to come down to Rudy Gobert's ability to go toe for toe with Jokic. Maybe not necessarily offensively going tit for tat, but the ability to keep Bjokic at bay because I feel like we understand the battle with Murray and and Donovan Mitchell is there. Murray definitely stepped up in a big way as the primary facilitator and as pretty much the go-to option in the backcourt, but that's not the matchup I'm concerned about. That's the matchup we saw in, in, in game one, and granted, it was entertaining as all, albeit, but that's not the that's not the matchup that I feel like it's gonna define the series. I think the ability for whoever the second star on the team is to step up is going to dictate it. In game one, <laughs> Jokic one, Rudy Gobert zero, and it reflected in the score and the scores table as well, with them winning by by ten points. So I mean, Murray definitely eight. I don't see thirty six points per game in this series as part of his future or anything, but. If he's going to be the lead man from a scoring perspective, having Jokic as a second is definitely a dangerous sight moving forward as we continue the first round for this team.
0: How much do you think the Jazz are really missing Bojan Bogdanovich now? Because, I mean, I think after that game won, his impact is really missed right now. And I don't know if the Jazz can recover without him. You're right, though. I think that the, a second star has to step up for the Jazz in order to really come back and win game two, game three. I just think outside of that, though, the Jazz are really in trouble if Jamal Murray's playing like this, especially with Nikola Jokic down low, playing up 29 and 10. His impact is definitely, I I said this before and I'll say it again, Nikola Jokic is winning this battle over Rudy Gobert, and I don't think there's any question about it now after game one. Who is your second player that stood out?
1: Ryan, it's not for good. I'm going to be honest with you, but it's CP3 of the OKC Thunder, man. Oh, man. Now, I I completely understand. The ideal is the dude had 20 points, 10 rebounds, and nine assists in the game. You say the dude almost had a triple-double. He did have a double-double in the game. How could you be concerned about CP3? Well, let me tell you exactly why I can be concerned about CP3. This team lost 108 to 123 in a matchup without Russell Westbrook on the other team. This is, this is a matchup for them that was supposed to be in terms of game one was supposed to be in the benefit of the OKC Thunder. The Thunder got outplayed in the paint. They got outscored 44 to 38 in the paint. The Rockets Still did not win the rebound battle. They actually lost by 10, but lost that battle by 10 rebounds. It was 46 to 36. But the Thunder had more turnovers. It was 12 to 7. And the biggest thing about it, I would say, in terms of pointing things at CP3, is when you really take a look at the game, it didn't really feel like he had an impact on the game until those first handful of threes he hit came fourth quarter. Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of felt like the game was kind of out of reach as it was in the fourth quarter, especially by the point that it hit like the eight minute mark down the stretch. So I feel like the biggest thing with this game is that I just feel like CP3 did not put his stamp on the game early. And it seemed like the only person that was really holding this team afloat was Danilo Gallinari, who did have almost 30 points in the game. But he was the only person who really showed up for this team. Uh, Shay Gilgers-Alexander, less than 10 points. Dennis Schroeder, less than 10 points. Not a very good set of production from the bench. Steven Adams did dominate his matchup, I would say, 17 points, 12 rebounds. I think that's going to be huge for them down the stretch. And we've said this before. I think I've said this before on the podcast is his matchup with P.J. Tucker is going to be huge considering that we already have the understanding that the Thunder have the advantage in the rebounding department. So the fact that the team leader, Chris Paul, didn't really show up until it didn't matter as much makes his statistics look more like empty calories to me. And if that's the case, (laughs) Charles Barkley should be pulling out the sweep for this series because Russell Westbrook coming back makes this look even worse for the Thunder if they keep performing like this.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with all your points. Chris Paul really struggled, especially going into the fourth quarter, and he really didn't do well shooting wise until the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, he was near a tri- He was he was pretty close to getting a triple double, but for what they lost by 15 points,
1: exactly.
0: uh, especially on a team that doesn't have Russell Westbrook and James Harden had 37 points. I would like to say shout out to Danilo Gallinari because he had like an excellent performance out there with 30 points. I just think that in order for Oklahoma City to win, you need Shea Gilgis Alexander to step up. I know as a young player, this isn't his. This is not his first time in the playoffs. This is not his first time in the playoffs. But I think his performance in Game One was unacceptable, and I just don't see if he's going to put up those numbers in Game One. What's he going to do for the next three games in the series? And especially considering. We all know if Russell Westbrook is coming back. But I just – I get this feeling that that the Oklahoma City Thunder just were not prepared in the first mm-hmm. game. And I feel like watching them against the Rockets, it just kind of exposed how weak they were on the offensive side, considering that the Rockets just picked them apart on defense. Chris Paul struggled until the fourth quarter. Dinelo Gallinari really was the only player that could shoot the ball consistently on the floor. Shea Gilgis Alexander and Dan Schroeder were nowhere to be found, and the bench was nowhere near as good as the Rockets' bench.
1: Definitely. Which,
0: which, speaking of, I mean, I could I could count the entire Rockets' bench as a key piece, as a key as key players that have stepped up in this series. But one guy in particular, I have to say, is Jeff Green. Not a guy you would think of as a second option, I'll say that. But Jeff Green showed up. And I think he made a nice compliment for James Harden when when James Harden was scoring 37 points and he was shooting the ball very well from from the floor and from beyond the arc. Jeff Green was a guy who could also do that. He took the place of Russell Westbrook. I would not only say just him, but I also think Eric Gordon. I think P.J. Tucker also had a solid game. Ben McLemore was shooting the ball well coming off the bench. With how well the Rockets were on the floor, I think that eventually they're playing so well without him that I feel like they're going to eventually need him on the floor. Not necessarily in this series, if the Rockets bench can step up and take care of business, but eventually in the second round, if the Rockets make it to the second round. Obviously, listen, Harden was the obvious choice for someone that you need to step up in this game because Mm -hmm. he's an MVP. He's unguardable. But Jeff Green, 22.6 rebounds, 4 assists, 8 of 12 from the floor, 3 of 7 from beyond the arc. I think he was part of a collective unit on the defensive side that stagnated the offense for the Thunder. Like I said, CP3 didn't score the majority of his points until the game was put away in the fourth quarter. So I think I think Jeff Green, along with Eric Gordon, Ben McLemore, Daniel House, P.J. Tucker, they're all going to have to support Harden until Russell Westbrook comes back.
1: I mean, they definitely did that. I mean, <laughs> that's for sure. Like you said, Jeff Green, 22 points. Eric Gordon, 21 points. Ben McLemore, who – just keep continues to kind of flash off the screen over this, uh the last course of um, a month in terms of the bubble, 14 points of his own PJ Tucker, 11 points Daniel house who had a significant level of playing time off the bench and contributed nine points of his own. I mean, when you really look at it overall, it was like the definition of a group effort, which is interesting because I feel like that's what we've been saying about the OKC Thunder this whole year, especially with the fact that they've kept their team together. And our thought process was that they were going to split them up. This game embodied a, a tale of two different type of teams. And ironically enough, what we thought one team was, they were the other and vice versa for, um, for in terms of the Thunder The Rockets were the team that I thought was going to lean extremely, extremely heavily, like very heavily on James Harden in this game. And like you said, almost 40 points in the game. He, of course, did his thing, but superstars do what superstars do. But getting that type of productivity from the rest of your team was something that I was not necessarily expecting. I was expecting a lot of hero ball on James Harden's Harden's, um, accord. And I thought that that would affect their ability to win the game. On the other end, it seemed like for the Thunder, Danilo Gallinari was the only thing breathing on this team for three quarters. And other than that, we saw Chris Paul come alive. But, you know, Steven Adams is the only other bright point, and you're not looking to him for instant offense. So that three-guard lineup that they typically use with Shea Gildas-Alexander, Dennis Schroeder, and Chris Paul didn't do what they normally do. And they're one of the most efficient offenses in the league, but we sure as heck did not see that the other night. So I don't know, man, this, this spells to get ugly. I mean, you know, we had, we had our differences in terms of what we thought this series was going to look like. And I'm definitely starting to eat crow a little bit on this end. Cause man, if the Thunder don't switch into the gear quick, Russell Westbrook potentially coming back is only going to make this look worse as the days go along.
0: So I think it's a good transition to our question of the day to our fans. Who is someone that has stepped up and really stood out in the first two days of playoff action here in the NBA? This has been a great episode today here on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure you rate us five stars on Apple and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a great episode today. We'll see you guys next episode.
1: Peace.